Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zora. Africa, Amka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Lohoko, and Msibudi Makura. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at this hour, Burundi's president grants clemency to thousands of prisoners and concerns over the worsening humanitarian situation in South Sudan. In economics, ratings agency points out South African budget speech shortcomings. And in sports news, Michelle Platini launches an attack on FIFA Appeals Committee. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. An African Union bid to end Burundi's 10-month political crisis begins in the country's capital, Bujumbura. South Africa's President Jacob Zuma is leading four other African heads of state to try and broker a deal aimed at ending the cycle of violence in the Central African nation. The visit comes less than two days after President Pierre Nkurunziza told UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon that he would open talks with opposition groups in the country. Serakimani reports. Also on the visit are President Mohamed Old Abdulaziz of Mauritania, President Macky Sall of Senegal, President Ali Bongo Dimba of Gabon, and Prime Minister Haile Mariam Desani of Ethiopia. President Zuma was a mediator in 2000 and helped broker the Arusha peace agreement, which saw an end to a long-running civil war in the country. The visit comes weeks after a Security Council delegation failed to convince President Kurunzinza to accept a peacekeeping mission and to open talks with all sides to the conflict. The African Union agreed to send the delegation during its summit last month after then Kurunzinza's administration rejected the deployment of 5,000 African Union peacekeepers. Chad's opposition parties have held a nationwide shutdown in protests against President Idris Deby's bid for a fifth term in office. The strike action was called under the slogan, That's Enough, by several opposition groups who opposed the bid. Deby, has been in office for two and a half decades, is running for re-election on the 10th of April. A majority of lawmakers from Libya's internationally recognized parliament say they supported a UN-backed unity government but had faced intimidation before a confidence vote. The parliament was unable to hold the vote on Tuesday for the new government lineup because it lacked a quorum. According to the parliament's website, 99 lawmakers would need to vote in favor of the new unity government for it to receive the legislature's approval. The United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees says the closure of borders to migrants and refugees in Europe will create further chaos and confusion. Europe is facing unprecedented numbers of people who are fleeing conflict and instability in the Middle East in Africa. High Commissioner Filippo Grande made his first official visit to the island of Lesvo in Greece, which received half a million refugees last year. He says the border closures by some European countries would further increase the burden on Greece, which is already shouldering a big responsibility. 
And finally, aid deliveries to people in need in Syria are being held back by what the UN humanitarian chief calls staggering bureaucratic obstacles that are costing people their lives. Some 250,000 people have been killed in the conflict, which is entering its sixth year. Around 13.5 million are in need of some sort of humanitarian aid. Briefing the UN Security Council in New York, the emergency relief coordinator Stephen O'Brien describes how difficult it has been to get the go-ahead for convoys. Humanitarian operations cannot continue to be bogged down by unnecessary and unacceptable restrictions, obstructions and deliberate delays that are costing people their lives. The number, scope and complexity of bureaucratic and other obstacles that are placed in the path of simple aid deliveries are staggering. And that's the New Zealand's at 8.30 Central African time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you. And it is 8.05 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 40, 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa on this Thursday, February the 25th, the 56th day of 2016 with 310 days left in the year. In our top story, Burundi's president Pien Kuruziza has granted clemency to various categories of prisoners after promising UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon during his visit to the country earlier this week. Bernard Bankukira spoke to the deputy spokesperson of President Kuruziza and sent us this report from Pujumbura. President Pierre Nkurunziza issued later Tuesday a decree announcing the presidential clemency to several detainees held in the 11 prisons across the country after receiving the UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon during his two-day visit to Burundi. However, the move is not a result of talks between the President Ban Ki-moon, as said by Jean-Claude Carrer-Wandenzako, deputy spokesman of President Pierre Nkurunziza. He said this is part of Burundi's commitment to ensure a national cohesion among Burundians. Well, uh, we cannot say that uh, the, the decision by His Excellency, uh, the President of the Republic, uh, uh, comes uh, in uh, connection with uh, the promises he made or the, the pay, any page he made. Uh, this is part of uh, the commitment by the government of Burundi uh, to ensure that uh, uh, peace and security and national concord are um, reality in Burundi. It's not a consequence of that visit. The decision was taken uh, before the visit of Ban Ki-moon. Now, can you know the categories of detainees to be released as uh, promised by President Kulonziza to the UN Secretary General? The categories of um, uh, prisoners concerned by uh, this presidential clemency are those, well, first of all, uh, any prisoners, um, including uh, pregnant or breastfeeding women, uh, women with infants, terminally prisoners, uh, prisoners with obvious physical impairments, uh, the mentally ill prisoners, and those convicted of being age 60 or older um, than uh, 60 um, as of uh, 31 December 2015, and the minors are concerned with uh, this presidential pardon. 
but uh, the people who, who should be released in accordance with uh, the presidential clemency are those who are not convicted of uh, offenses um, such as crimes against humanity, genocide, war crimes, armed robbery, illegal possession of firearms, or those endangering the internal or external security of the state. The presidential pardon doesn't also concern those that are accused of uh, convicted of rape, murders, uh, mercenary, cannibalism, and other crimes committed in association with the uh, any organized gang. The UN Secretary General announced to the press that President Kurunziza promised to release people in prisons as the opinion thinks political detainees, especially those who voiced against the third term bid of President Pian Kurunziza, would be released. The deputy spokesman denies the existence of such category, promising, however, to release them if there appears to be one. He also said anti-third term bid protesters may be released in case they are not found guilty with the other crimes of human rights violations. Here is again Mr. Ndenzako. Well, we don't have any political prisoners in Burundi as far as we know because uh, political prisoners have already been released. But if tomorrow it was determined that we have uh, political prisoners, I'm sure and said they would be released. Everyone who is detained today is not because he's uh, a politician. It is only because he's uh, a troublemaker or a wrongdoer, as simple as that. But we have hundreds or even thousands of people, especially youth from the opposition parties, who were arrested as they were protesting against the third term bid of President Pierre Kulonziza. What about this category? Okay, if they are really in prison because they protested against uh, the nomination of uh, President Nkurunziza to run as a candidate for his uh, political party, uh, the CNDD-FDD, for sure they will be released. But if they have indulged in any uh, wrongdoing activity, if they are convicted for other crimes uh, in addition to protesting, you understand that they will still be prosecuted. The number of detainees expected to be released remains, however, unclear. Speaking to the press on this Tuesday, the UN Secretary General spoke of 1,200 people. As later on, the office of the president gave the number of 2,000 for Mr. Ndenzako, there's no exact number of prisoners to be released. Well, I cannot tell you uh, offhand how many are going to be uh, confirmed by the, that exceptional, exceptional decision, but it's something ranging between 1,000 to 1,000. It can be 1,200, it can be uh, 1,500. Uh, there will be a commission set up in the Justice Ministry um, to determine how many will be released. A total of 12,000 prisoners are squeezed across the country in 11 prisons due to hold only 3,600 people. As the UN Secretary General said, those to be released were chosen after discussions between the United Nations and Burundi. The Office of the President says there have been no negotiations since the measure was already announced in the New Year's message to the nation. For Channel Africa, this is Bernard Bankukira reporting from Bujumbura. The absence of peace in South Sudan is having a severe impact on people's ability to access food, health, services and other sectors. As according to People, Peace, Prosperity, the first human development report for the country launched by the UN Development Programme, South Sudan has been independent for less than five years, but has been engulfed in political turmoil which has killed thousands and forced more than two million people from their homes. More from Eugene Uwusu, Deputy Special Representative of the UN Secretary General, 
and UN Resident and Humanitarian Coordinator in South Sudan. South Sudan, unfortunately, has been characterized by conflict. The consequences of the conflict has been uh, that there are severe challenges to human development in South Sudan. And some of those challenges revolve around food insecurity. Uh, the decimation of social service delivery has had a severe impact on, on health and social service indicators. We do have challenges to do with physical insecurity. Then also, unfortunately, we're going through an important and a major uh, economic crisis. The consequence of all these is that uh, presently South Sudan's human development indices are not the most favorable. South Sudan, unfortunately, still is within the low human development category. The report is entitled People, Peace and Prosperity. What will be needed to help South Sudan realize these three objectives? I think that there are two key actions that indeed South Sudan certainly needs to take. First and foremost, it's really the imperative of peace. Peace is central to whatever one does in terms of human endeavor. So the first important thing that South Sudan needs to do is truly maximize its political will to fully implement the current peace agreement. Uh, but implementation of the peace agreement on its own, while necessary, might not be sufficient. And the second important thing that South Sudan needs to do is to really demonstrate a very strong commitment to policy and structural reforms which are necessary to really turn around the fortunes of the economy and place South Sudan on a positive development trajectory. Is there any good news coming out of the report or have there been any interesting findings? Oh, absolutely. This report that we've launched today is really about hope and optimism for the world's youngest nation. Uh, it is clear from the messages coming from the report and also the interactive dialogue that indeed we had as, as part of the launching of the report. It's very clear that South Sudan can turn its fortunes around. But as I said earlier, this will require fully implementing the peace agreement and indeed showing a strong political will to policy and structural reforms. In terms of key messages, which is the first being that South Sudan can indeed secure the future that this country wants and the future that this country certainly needs. But that can only happen if all South Sudanese, all South Sudanese genuinely give peace a chance. But giving peace a chance on its own might not be sufficient. We need to have the right mix of policies and a sense of purposefulness and determination to follow through implementation policies. Secondly, violence and, and conflict in South Sudan truly is, is the failure to reconcile and manage political differences and political grievances. The report also demonstrates clearly that the conflict is truly development in reverse. The human development losses associated with the conflict have indeed been huge. And finally, and this ties into the theme of the report, which is that South Sudan cannot have prosperity without peace. And certainly, South Sudan cannot have peace without peace. Is there anything further you think our listeners should know about the report or about UNDP's work or the UN family's work, I should say, in South Sudan? Well, we do have a very strong UN country team here that is working together as one. 
and delivering results together as one, both on the humanitarian side and indeed on the development side. UNDP is, is working towards reinvigorating uh, local economies, uh, particularly investing in, in strategic interventions in agriculture, trade, and the private sector, supporting um, rural value chains, and indeed providing livelihood opportunities for men, women, and unemployed youth. That was Eugene Owusu, Deputy Special Representative of the UN Secretary General and UN Resident and Humanitarian Coordinator in South Sudan. And he was speaking to Dian Penn of UN Radio. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. My name is Sipa Hot Sticks Mabuse, a South African musician and an African artist for that matter. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Pambi. My name is Yvonne Chaka Chaka from South Africa, but Africa is my home. You're listening to Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Habida, an African artist from Kenya, and you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's 8.17 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The United Nations has successfully completed its first airdrops of humanitarian aid in parts of Syria where conventional aid delivers deliveries cannot take place. This was confirmed by the organization's Undersecretary General for Humanitarian Affairs during an update on humanitarian access just days before a crucial secession of hostilities agreement is expected to go into effect. Show and Bryce Peace report. The process of aid delivery in Syria is no easy assignment, with several areas besieged by terrorist groups forcing the UN to drop aid from the sky. Humanitarian Chief Stephen O'Brien addressing the Security Council. The United Nations has also begun to use airdrops as a means of humanitarian delivery in Syria. Although there are a number of operational risks associated with airdrops, we recognize that there are benefits to this approach in some areas of Syria as a last resort. Earlier this morning, a WFP plane dropped the first cargo of 21 tonnes of items into Derazor. We have received initial reports from the SARC team on the ground that pallets have landed in the target area as planned. He indicated that 110,000 people had received aid in besieged areas while complaining that slow approval of convoys by the government was hampering their ability to reach almost 200,000 more who are in desperate need. We expect those approvals to happen immediately. And more broadly, the use of siege and starvation as a method of war must cease immediately. The main responsibility for doing so rests with parties maintaining the sieges. But it is shared by those that put civilians in harm's way by using them as shields for military activities in besieged areas. 
Russia's foreign ministry earlier indicated that they were discussing the possibility of a draft resolution to endorse a cessation of hostilities agreement due to go into effect on Saturday. O'Brien's exasperation was hard to ignore. It is hard to believe that this conflict can be resolved as long as there continues to be a complete absence of protection for civilians. The agreement on cessation of hostilities must finally and unequivocally produce what this Council's resolutions and the basic tenets and obligations under international law could not achieve so far. An immediate end to all targeted or indiscriminate attacks against civilians and civilian infrastructure and enhanced protection of civilians. Enough is enough. This brutality must be brought to an end. Syria's ambassador accused the UN of using the humanitarian emergency as a political tool, blaming civilian suffering on armed and terrorist groups in the country. I'm Sherman Bricepies in New York. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Amnesty International warns that human rights are increasingly under attack globally more than ever. The Watchdog Group released its annual report, which reveals a dire state of human rights around the world. Europe, the richest bloc in the world, came under fire yet again for its continued failure to take care of the basic rights of migrants and refugees fleeing war and poverty. Jane Rabutata reflects on some of the major highlights of the report. The latest Amnesty International report reveals that 2015 was yet another calamitous year marked by deadly armed conflicts that brought bloodshed and anguish to millions of civilians, an unprecedented refugee crisis, as well as mounting assaults on freedoms and rights by repressive governments. Amnesty's Africa Director for Research and Advocacy, Natsane Pele, explains that widespread human violations committed in the context of armed conflicts in Africa is one of the major highlights of the report. In 2015, one of the major causes of a large-scale uh, human rights violation in Africa remained armed conflicts. Uh, it brought appalling tragedy and unrelenting despair for millions of Africans in, in the continent. Armed groups like Boko Haram and Al-Shabaab committed massive atrocities in Nigeria, Cameroon, Kenya and elsewhere killing, injuring and abducting thousands of civilians. The catalogue of crimes committed by Boko Haram um, alone, including murder, deliberate attacks on civilians and civilian objects, torture, imprisonment, rape, enslavement and recruitment of child soldiers, constitutes war crimes and crimes against humanity. This was further exaggerated by the unlawful and heavy-handed response of many government forces, such as Nigeria and Cameroon, where military operations were marred by mass arbitrary arrest, extrajudicial executions, incommunicado detentions, and other forms of violation. In Europe, the report strongly criticized Hungary for sealing its borders to keep out thousands of desperate refugees and obstructive collective regional attempts to help them. More than one million refugees and migrants arrived in Europe last year, many fleeing war zones. According to Amnesty, with the exception of Germany, the response to the crisis has been shameful. Muleya Nayanda is Amnesty's Deputy Regional Director for Campaigns. Indeed, uh, the refugee crisis, I think, came to a head 
last year, as we saw with lots of uh, refugees moving up, you know, getting uh, some of them getting killed on the high seas on their way to, to Europe. And we saw that the response actually from Europe has not been very good. I have to mention that uh, the number of refugees and displaced persons, internally displaced people, is much higher in Africa, in Asia, and even in Latin America than it is in, in, in Europe. The reaction by countries in Europe is a major concern for us. So, for example, returning refugees uh, by countries like Hungary, by Australia, by the Netherlands, is in, in direct uh, contravention of international law because some of them were returned to places where their lives would be in danger again. More than three years after the catastrophic events in Marikana in South Africa's northwest province where 34 protesting miners were shot, Amnesty still criticizes the process of accountability to the killings. In June last year, the country's president, Jacob Zuma, released a report and recommendations of the Marikana Commission of Inquiry, which found that the decisive cause of the August 16 events was the unlawful decision by senior police officials. However, up-to-date accountability is still in question, with only the suspension of the police commissioner Ria Piecha pending an inquiry into alleged misconduct during the police shootings. Mpilo Shange Butane is the executive director for Amnesty International in South Africa. So as far as Amnesty International is concerned, the process of ensuring accountability for the unlawful killing of 34 minors by police in Marikana in 2012 is painfully slow with only the national police commissioner Ria Piecha having been suspended pending an inquiry into the her fitness to hold office. Amnesty International, therefore, in particular on this issue, is calling for all members of the South African police services implicated in the Marikana killings and the subsequent cover-ups to be suspended pending the outcome of further investigations, as well as full reparations for the families of those unlawfully killed and the surviving victims. However, in calling for reparations, we are not saying that justice should not be saved. We are still saying we're calling for reparations, but justice must also still be saved. That's Mpilo Shange Butane, Executive Director for Amnesty International in South Africa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Jane Rabutata in Johannesburg. South African Finance Minister Pravin Gordon has presented a budget speech that has been characterized by a reduction of government expenditure and cost-cutting measures. However, there has been an increase in spending on the social, health and educational fronts. But the long-term game plan is to change the country's growth model. Gordon was tabling the 2016-2017 budget speech in Parliament yesterday afternoon. Lulamamatya reports. The Education Department continues to be the biggest chunk of the budget. The Higher Education Department has been allocated an additional 16.3 billion rand over the next three years. A sizable portion of this amount will address the shortfall caused by keeping fees for 2016 academic year at previous year's levels. Last year, students went on a national campaign protesting against fee increases for this academic year and demanding no fee increases. The other amount will go to the National Student Financial Aid Scheme to clear outstanding student debt, and a further 8 billion rand will be for current students to complete their studies. 
Kodan has also announced an increase allocation to basic education. Our expenditure on basic education will increase from 204 billion rands this year to 254 billion rands in 2018-19. By 2018, 510 inappropriate and unsafe schools will be rebuilt, 1,120 schools will be supplied with water and 916 schools with electricity. An additional allocation of 813 million for early childhood development is proposed to increase the number of children in ECD centers by 104,000 over the MTEF period. The second biggest slice of the cake has gone to health and welfare services. Beneficiaries will be revitalization projects for health facilities at 11 NHI pilot districts. An additional 740 million rand has been allocated to strengthen TB programs to encourage early detection and treatment. One billion rand will be for the expansion of the antiretroviral treatment program. There's also additional funding for new substance abuse treatment centers in the Northern Cape, Free State, Western Cape and Northwest provinces. Social grant has also been increased. The old age, disability and care dependency grants will rise by 80 rands to 1,500 rands in April and by a further 10 rands to 1,510 rands in October. The child, the child support grant will rise by 20 rands to 350 rands in April and the foster care grant by 30 rands to 890 rands. In respect of defence, public order and safety, Spending uh, will rise from 172 billion rands this year to 204 billion rands in 2018-19. Taking into account the recommendations of the Farham Commission of Inquiry, an amount of 598 million rands is allocated to enhancing capacity of public order policing units over the MTF period ahead. Godan said that today's budget is guided by the National Development Plan. He said it is aimed at inclusive growth. It emphasizes partnerships among role players in our economy. It prioritizes education and infrastructure investment. He says it also supports employment creation and contributes to building a capable developmental state. Public housing, water resources and bulk infrastructure have also been allocated 108 3 billion rand and 102 billion rand respectively. Water sector grants secondly will be restructured to reduce duplication and the associated administrative burden. Thirdly, refinements are proposed to take into account the diverse challenges of urban and rural areas and the different sized towns and cities. Infrastructure development has also not been left out. Firstly, grant frameworks will in future allow for refurbishing of assets, as I said earlier, recognizing the long-term nature of municipal infrastructure. Maintenance is sometimes more important than new infrastructure. (laughs) Water sector grants, secondly, will be restructured to reduce duplication and the associated administrative burden. Thirdly, refinements are proposed to take into account the diverse challenges of urban and rural areas and the different sized towns and cities. And fourthly, 
public transport transfers to cities will now be allocated through a formula bringing greater certainty and sustainability to these funding arrangements. The 2016 budget proposals reduce growth in baseline expenditure by 25 billion rand over the medium-term budget expenditure framework period compared with 2015 estimates. That report by Lula Mamadja. Our headlines up next with Musa. A very good morning to you. In the headlines, President Jacob Zuma leads four other African heads of state to Burundi to try and broker a deal aimed at ending the cycle of violence in the country. Chad's opposition parties hold a nationwide shutdown in protests against President Idris Deby's bid for a fifth term in office. And UN Special Representative for Libya, Martin Cobblers, welcomed the statement signed by a majority of members of the House of Representatives in which they approved the Government of National Accord proposed by the Presidency Council. Those are the stories making headlines. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, wake up. Africa, Africa, reveille Africa, Africa, Wema. Sun rising. Le soleil élevé. Weya Wema. What's in the happen, Africa? Africa, Dumelang, San Bonan. Africa, Mulishani, Pulibanj. Africa, Ayanyomi, Kilon Shele. Africa, Ndinkim, Kinkunume. What's in the happen, Africa? It doesn't matter where you come from. Lesotho, Kenya, Zambia, Ghana, Nigeria, Tanzania, Congo, Liberia, Togo, Ethiopia, DRC, South Africa, Swaziland, Morocco, Botswana, Gabon, Zimbabwe, Mauritania, Senegal, Sierra Leone, Liberia. It doesn't matter where you're from. We are one people. Channel Africa. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. This is DJ Cleo with G Exploits from Nigeria. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. Meanwhile, markets around the world have been reacting to the budget given by Finance Minister Pravin Gordon. South Africa's commodity market has strong ties with London Stock Exchange. And investors in the United Kingdom kept a close eye on currencies throughout the budget speech in Parliament. Dan Whitehead reports from London. Well, world markets, of course, continuing to react to the budget uh, given in South Africa after what has been an extremely difficult six to 12 months in the country when it comes to the finance uh, ministry. Uh, one of the economies, of course, which is closely linked is the UK. And to discuss that, I'm joined by Jeremy Cook, an economist uh, from World First. Uh, Jeremy, uh, what has the reaction been from uh, economists like yourself and those uh, in the city of London to uh, the budget given? Well, first off, I think we have to realise that not uh, this wasn't going to be a panacea for the for the economic problems that the South African economy has, and that the the plan is very much geared towards the ratings agencies, which were quite active against South Africa towards the end of the uh, towards the end of the year. We know that debt to GDP is likely to rise, but obviously cuts to spending have been brought forward. 
to try and quell that in the short term. It has been a little bit around the edges almost. There's been no VAT increase, which is obviously very, very politically difficult, as would an income tax increase, for example. In the near term, the South African rand sold off um, as, soon as, uh, as soon as the finance minister got to his feet and started talking. And it's actually having its worst day for about three weeks at the moment. Also, shares in, in Johannesburg didn't sell off as well. So in the near term, I think it's more of an admission that there are significant risks towards the South African economy and future budgets will have to do similar moving forward. Now, the finance minister talked about the need for growth, uh, and he mentioned commodities, of course, heavily reliant on the South African economy and linked, of course, to the the London uh, Stock Exchange. Can you just talk about uh, how important uh, the commodity industry is between the the, the countries and also just the historical ties between South Africa's economy and the UK's? If you look at the South South African export picture, you can see that 36% of its exports go to China, and most of that is raw materials. Now, only 6% comes uh, to us here in the UK. UK, but obviously a lot of the investment previously historically that's been going into um, going into South Africa has been British companies mainly based around uh, resource extraction and obviously refining. Moving forward we have to see a pickup in commodity prices if that investment flow is going to continue. We know that certainly here in the UK our current account position is particularly weak and a lot of that's to do with uh, operations abroad not bringing in as much money as they previously did. South Africa is a prime example of this. So if the South African economy recovers and the UK position will also be looking a lot, lot better. Okay, thanks very much. Jeremy Cook there from uh, World First. Well, of course, economists uh, and analysts and those uh, bankers in the city will be keeping a close eye on just how this budget in South Africa is delivered over the coming months and year. Dan said in London. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Channel Africa, Blantyre. Africa, rise and shine. I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Jean Noel Bamwisi, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. Informing the world about Africa. Ntakwanangatani in Mohalizuk, Lesotho. Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zosa. Africa, Amuka na Unai. The International Conference on Investing in the Great Lakes Region opened at the DRC capital, Kinshasa. The two-day meeting is co-organized by the Office of the Special Envoy of the UN Secretary-General for the Region and the Office of the Executive Secretary of the International Conference of the Great Lakes Region in partnership with the DRC government. Jean-Noël Bamweze reports from Kinshasa. Hundreds of delegates representing different companies of various countries of the world are attending the conference aiming to allow them discover investment opportunities the Great Lakes region offers in private sectors. President Joseph Kabila, who opened the conference, expressed his happiness to see that the Great Lakes region will no more be described as an area of instability, but a region that offers great investment opportunities. Joseph Kabila. 
This conference will allow a true interaction between private sectors, actors and political decision makers on the national, regional and international levels. And then the Great Lakes region will no more be described as an area of instability but as a region offering investment opportunities. The UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon on a visit here in the DRC was also part of the opening ceremony here in Kinshasa. He emphasized the importance of such a meeting. Ban Ki-moon. We have joined together today to share ideas and experiences underscoring the importance of attracting private investment, promoting businesses activity and enhancing regional economic cooperation and integration. I am pleased that the journey leading to this moment was inclusive and entailed extensive consultations with the government, business leaders, entrepreneurs and civil society organizations. And together you have begun identifying regional investment opportunities, reviewing the investment climate and beginning a dialogue between public and private sectors on how best to move forward. We meet at a particularly opportune moment in the wake of the adoption of 2030 Sustainable Development Agenda. This is a very far-reaching, very ambitious blueprint for socio-economic development adopted by the world leaders last year. 25 projects in seven private sectors are open for participants to discuss and choose sectors they would be interested in. Those are agriculture, infrastructure, mining, energy, telecommunication, tourism and finances sectors. The UN Secretary General believes the support the region's leaders have brought to the conference and the way here shows their commitment in terms of improving investment in the Great Lakes region region. Once more, Ban Ki-moon. By lending your support to this conference, you are showing your resolve to improve the investment climate. You have also committed to enact policies to help expand the domestic private sector and to make it possible to micro, small and medium-sized enterprises to grow. As you do so, I encourage you to create an environment that ensures business operations and investments are responsible and sustainable and predictable. The two-day conference held here in Kinshasa is the very first one of the kind to be held in the Great Lakes region. It's ending this Thursday. Jean-Noël Bamweze, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. It's 8.42 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. South Africa's Minister of Mineral Resources Museben Zizwane has asked for sensitivity around the tragedy at Lily Mine in Barberton as questions are being asked about the conditions of the trap mine workers. Zwane was briefing Parliament's Mineral Resource Committee on the latest developments 
Earlier this month, the lamp room at the entrance of the mine fell into a sinkhole. Three miners, Yvonne Mnisi, Pritin Gambule and Solomon Yerende, have been trapped ever since. Zeline Merrington has more. The three mine workers at the Barberton Gold Mine have been trapped underground from the 5th of this month. The rescue operation started a day later, but two more collapses put a halt to the rescue operation. After consulting with safety experts, a decision was made to drill a second entrance. This drill is similar to what was used to rescue the Chilean miners in 2010. Mineral Resources Minister Mosabenzi Zizwane says the rescue operation has been halted for two to three weeks to drill a second exit. He called for sensitivity around the matter. We have said we are interested in a mission that will get the container out with the people. Whether living or not living, I think that's what the family wants of us. We know that people want us to comment on whether this is a rescue mission or recovery mission. We believe that is a bit insensitive for us to get to those uh, details. We not expect, we know currently that there's no ventilation there, there's no water. We understand those issues. But I think our task as leaders is to ensure that the container is recovered with the people inside, whether at that particular point are bodies or still alive, is, is, is for us not at this moment an issue. The issue is to ensure that we are sensitive to those families that are there waiting at the mine to ensure that this mission is, is, is uh, completed. Zwane says the mine has indicated that it would want to continue with operations, but he says the department will be strict with safety measures. Our view is simple. We understand the importance of jobs and people continue working, but that mine is not going to be opened up until we ourselves are satisfied in terms of the safety requirements that the mine should meet. So up until that point, that mine is not going to be opened. And the future of the mine will then rest upon the state of the mine after this uh, uh, rescue. Part of the rescue mission is looking for alternatives like sourcing machines that can detect metal several levels underground. Amzeline Merrington at Parliament. It's 8.45 and we say good morning to Tabiso Lohoko with our economics update. Good morning. South Africa's Finance Minister Pravin Gordon says he is surprised that the rand plunged to its lowest in five weeks against the U.S. dollar after he delivered his budget speech on Wednesday. The currency dropped as much as 2.4%, the biggest slump since January the 15th, and traded 2.2% weaker at 15.5 per dollar. Gordon says that the markets have always been unpredictable. We need to focus our minds on how do we grow the economy and how every one of the role players in our society, government, labor, business, civil society and the public at large can contribute to growing this economy. If we do not get above 0.9 in the next year or two, 
uh, we'll have to do more of this balancing act, more of cutting expenditure and more of raising revenue. And we're very transparent about that. Meanwhile, the ratings agency Moody says South Africa's budget has not identified specific revenue measures to achieve smaller deficits. Finance Minister Previn Gordon said in his budget on Wednesday that government aimed to reduce its budget deficit to 3.2% of GDP in the next fiscal year and 2.6% the year after that from the current 3.9% by tightening spending. Moody's senior vice president Christine Lindo has pointed out that Gordon promised to cut a larger public sector wage bill, but not, did not give specific details. Zimbabwe's diamond mining company plans to sue the government for breach of contract after the Southern African nation banned gem mining in the east of the country. Zimbabwe's mines minister ordered nine companies operating in the Morangi fields to stop all mining activities and leave immediately because of their licenses had expired. Diamond Mining Company says its joint venture contract stipulates that renewing licenses is the responsibility of the government. The International Conference on Investing in the Great Lakes region is underway in the DRC capital, Kinshasa. The meeting is co-organized by the Office of the Special Envoy of the UN Secretary General for the region and the Office of the Executive Secretary of the International Conference of the Great Lakes region in partnership with the DRC government. Jean-Noël Bamweze reports from Kinshasa. Hundreds of delegates representing different companies of various countries of the world are attending the conference aiming to allow them to discover investment opportunities the Great Lakes region offers in private sectors. President Joseph Kabila, who opened the conference, expressed his happiness to see that the Great Lakes region will no more be described as an area of instability, but a region that offers great investment opportunities. Financial indicators at the Sawa. The U.S. dollar trades at 15.37 in South Africa, 10.94 Botswana Pula, 11.32 in Zambia, 7.1 British pound, 9.0 euro, gold $1,233, platinum $938 an ounce, brand crude oil $34, 1 zero cents a barrel. Channel Africa's economic update. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. A sports update up next with Msibudi Makura. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning, sports fans. And starting off with football news, if all goes according to plan, Sir Blatter's controversial reign as FIFA president will come to an unofficial end at the FIFA Congress in Zurich this Friday. Frenchman Jerome Champagne is one of the five men gunning to replace Blatter. But just like his opponents, Champagne will first need to win the election to become the ninth president of FIFA's 112-year history. With just a day to go before the elections, it seems Champagne, a former FIFA Deputy General Secretary, is looking forward to the elections.
I'm fine, you know, it's, uh, you know, I think it's a rather open election, it's really fluid. You have at the same time big blocks uh, struggling between each other and at the same time a lot of federation uh, remaining undecided. So I think it's a rather fluid, uh, fluid election. Meanwhile, banned UEFA President Dimitri Platini launched an attack on the FIFA Appeals Committee on Wednesday after it upheld a suspension from the game for ethics violations. Frenchman Platini's ban, along with that of former FIFA President Seb Blatter, was reduced from eight to six years by the Appeals Committee based on the mitigating factor of the pair's services to the game. That gesture, however, did not or rather did little to appease the former Juventus and France international midfielder describing it as insulting, shameful, and as a violation of rights. Platini has protested his innocence throughout the case, which surrounded a two million US dollar payment from Blatter to him in 2011, nine years after the Frenchman completed his work as a consultant for FIFA. He will now turn to the Court of Arbitration for Sport in a final effort to clear his name and return to his role at the helm of the European game. On to tennis news, Novak Djokovic claimed the 700th victory of his career as he breezed into the quarterfinals of the Dubai Duty Free Championships. The world number one needed just only 65 minutes to beat Malik Jaziri of Tunisia 6-1-6-2 and become only the 12th player in tennis post-1968 Open era to hit the 7-1, rather the 700 mark of singles victories. He says it is a special moment. It's a great milestone and, uh, you know, obviously, as I said on the court, I, I enjoy every win uh, that I've had so far in career and uh, it sounds like I've played many matches. Uh, 700 wins is, uh, is, of course, something that, uh, um, that I'm very proud of together with my team. We worked hard in this uh, uh, course of 10 years in my professional career and uh, I remember the very first win I made on the tour and, uh, of course, it's, it's, been a, it's been a great ride and hopefully I can keep going. On to cricket news, New Zealand captain Brendan McCullum has played his last international. He officially retired after his side was beaten by Australia in the second, t- um, second test rather, in Wellington. The match saw him score the fastest test century, but he has acknowledged he won't go down as the best batsman in New Zealand history. From 101 tests, he finished with 6,453 runs, including 12 centuries, 31 half centuries, and a test average of 38.68. But his legacy will be his captaincy, where he, uh, rather, where the change in team culture and performances brought the crowds flocking back to the game after years of accepting mediocrity. You sort of hope that you're kind of remembered as, as a guy who played with a lot of passion, a lot of pride in playing for his country and, and played the game for the right reasons as well. And as a good team man, would be nice. Um, nice to be remembered as a guy who played for the right reasons and who, if in doubt, was prepared to take the positive option as well. And, and hopefully, you know, I think um, the guys that I've played with, um, if anything, not just a, in terms of your cricket stuff, but they remember you as a good bloke as well. And finally, in rugby youth, South African rugby team Bulls coach Nolise Marais believes that his starting team to face the Stormers in a Super Rugby clash at Newlands in Cape Town on Saturday will play a more calculated game and has emphasised the need for his bench to make an impact in the latter part of the game. Marais announced his first team, with uh, which rather will be led by Adrian Strauss and consists of eight Springboks and four debutants. 
You look at last year, and if you look at the Curry Cup last year, we started every game, we started bad, and we came back second half and played good. What happened down in Newlands is they put our set pieces under pressure, and we were like 12-0 behind in the first 10 minutes, and we had to fight from there. I think the basis that we're going to get from the starting lineup, it's a more maybe um, calculated, and then the guys coming up from the bench you know, can bring that impact and tempo. So we're looking for a good start, and then obviously, as Previously, the Stormers have always, or Western Province have beaten us in the last 20, 10 minutes. I think those guys can make a difference in the 10, last 10 minutes. Those are your sports news at the South. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zora. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on African Rise and Shine today, Burundi's President grants clemency to thousands of prisoners and concerns over the worsening humanitarian situation in South Sudan. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutsura Magadza and Tlanta Matlangu, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or send an SMS on 277-969-57930. And taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to southern Africa is Flavor with a song titled Noa Baby.